plan here is to uh, finish up chapter 10. Really what you have here in the book of Joshua is the uh, really about the first 10 chapters. Kind of a nice overview of things going on. goes into a couple of details here. And really what happens from about chapter 10 on through chapter 11 and chapter 12 even chapter 13, it, it really picks up the pace on a lot of things that's going on. So the theme of Joshua and the way we've been kind of studying it is really going to change here over the next couple of weeks. And once you get past those chapters too, when they start dividing up the land, etc., the book of Joshua really takes a turn here. So what you're going to see here tonight is a lot of detail about the battle, about the fight. And this is important because I think sometimes as Christians we tend to forget this, that uh, we're in a battle and I don't know why as Christians that this kind of slips our minds sometimes. I mean, Jesus made it abundantly clear. He goes, in this world, you will have tribulation. I mean, there's a reason why in Ephesians he gave us the armor of God. I mean, there's a reason why the word of God is called a sword. We're in a battle. And I think a lot of times as Christians we get blindsided because we don't expect the world to be so harsh. We don't expect the fight to be so tough. And so when we run into difficulties, we don't know how to handle it. If you get up every morning with the mindset of I'm putting on the armor of God and getting ready to go out to the battle every day, well, then you'll realize that. Your work is a battleground. For some of you, your marriage is a battleground. Your life is a battleground. It's tough. And we need to be ready for that. Part of the book of Joshua here is to remind us that there always is a fight, but yet we can stay strong in that fight. So with that being said, we talked about the first 15 verses of Joshua 10 last week, about the sun standing still. We spent a lot of time on that aspect of it, about the, the miraculous part of that, about what God did. Uh, I got an email from somebody this week that said, you know, spent so much time on talking about the sun standing still and the miracle of that. Isn't it a bigger, bigger miracle that God created the sun? Yes, yes, I understand. Yes, it's a miracle that he made it stand still. The bigger miracle is still the whole creation of everything. Don't overlook that either. But a beautiful picture there of God's power. But what you have here from verse 16 on is kind of the mop-up, if you will, of this battle. And it's not so much the details of the battle that are important. It's a spiritual application that we're going to take out of this. So without much further ado, let's have a quick word of prayer, and we'll dive into this. Lord, uh, as always, Lord, you teach. And Lord, we listen through your spirit. And just pray that there would be a time this evening to really go deeper in you and just learn about this. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, if you remember, we had these five kings that formed a coalition last week. And these five kings came together to fight Israel. And we talked about how in the eyes of God, it doesn't matter if it's one king, five kings, or five thousand kings. He can take care of all of it. From a human perspective, we get overwhelmed. How many times have we said it? One more thing. I can't handle one more thing. God says, I can handle one more thing. God says it's easier to take out five kings at once than to take them out individually. So these group of five kings came together, they fought against Joshua, and they lost. So now the five kings flee, verse 16. But these five kings had fled and hidden themselves in a cave at Makedah. And it was told Joshua, saying, the five kings have been found hiding in the cave at Makedah. So Joshua said, roll large stones against the mouth of the cave and set men to guard them. Now, the point of this is not necessarily them hiding in the cave. It's that, it's that word hiding that really got to me. Because this idea of hiding, you see this a lot throughout the Bible. When Adam and Eve first sinned in the Garden of Eden, what did they do after they sinned? They hid. They hid themselves from God, the Bible says. That showed human nature from then on. 6,000 years later, when we do something wrong, what do we want to do from God? We want to hide. These kings are wrong. What are they going to do? They're going to hide. Last week, we had a situation pop up 
with uh, Elias and Judah. They were getting out of hand. They were getting a little rambunctious, so we were figuring out what to do with them. So I told them, hey, go to your room here for a little bit, and we're going to figure out what we're going to do to handle this situation. Now, Judah is just go with the flow, doesn't bother him, whatever, and so he'll go in there and just wait. Elias is very emotional. Elias can get really worked up about things. And so they knew they were wrong, and they knew that probably some type of punishment was coming, and we were kind of collecting our thoughts here on how to handle this. So I go in the room, and Judah's just playing on the floor with Legos. You know, whatever happens, happens. That's life. Where's Elias? Elias is hiding under the bed. It's like, okay, Elias, come on out. He doesn't want to. Come on out. Human nature, when we know we're wrong, what are we going to do? We're going to hide. So Adam and Eve, when they sinned against God, what did they do? They hid. I went through the Bible, and there's so many references. I just picked a few of them here. Uh, we just talked about a few weeks ago in Joshua, when Achan took things from Jericho, what did he do? The Bible says he hid them. What happens in the end in Revelation 6? The sixth seal is so intimidating, so scary, it says that the people in the world go what into caves to try to hide from God. Now how silly of a thought is that? We as mature believers we know we can't hide from God, right? But yet we do it. I've hid from God before. I'll give you an example. I remember I was a young Christian. I'd been saved. Oh, I think I was only saved for less than a year. I remember distinctly we were, we were uh, at the library. If you remember when we used to meet in the library there in Hamler. And I'd been saved for less than a year. And I remember it was coming up. It was Easter Sunday. And, and they did communion. And one of the things that we do with communion out here is, if you remember correctly, we always go through those verses of let a man examine himself. And so therefore you do not eat of the bread or drink of the cup in an unworthy manner. And so, you know, Jim's up there teaching and he presents this. And I'm sitting in the back row. I was struggling with some sin at the time and I was in a rebellious state, if you will. And so communion comes up. And so it's a great opportunity to make your heart clean in the Lord, a great opportunity to quiet your heart and confess your heart to the Lord. And so that's how they open up communion. And I thought, I don't want to. And I got up and I left. Rather than dealing with the sin issue and dealing with God's grace and mercy, I wanted to go hide in a cave. And I've done that spiritually before. And we do the same thing today. We may not literally go hide in a cave. We hide from prayer time with the Lord. We hide from devotions. We hide from church. We hide from the body of Christ. We hide from the pastor. We hide from things when we know what we're doing is not right. That's what we do. And who do we want to blame? Well, if we're going to blame anybody, let's blame Adam and Eve. They set the example. And what do we have here with these kings? They're going to hide. Now, do they really think they're going to get away with it? I don't know. You know, sometimes when I'm doing things I shouldn't be doing, and you know, you have all these thoughts going through your mind, maybe you think, okay, I don't know, am I going to get away with this? But then you read verses like this, and you don't need to turn there. Luke 8, 17. For nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. Wow, that's quite the verse. Nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. That's a tough verse. Now, the verse is really difficult if, if you have things you want to hide. Well, if you have nothing to hide, Lord, let the light of your love shine into my life, because I have nothing to hide. But yet, if I'm trying to hide in a cave like these kings, if I'm trying to hide like Adam and Eve, if I'm trying to hide like Achan, hide the sin, or if I'm trying to hide like the guys in Revelation because I'm scared of God, well, I, I don't want the light, to be honest with you. So we have to look at these things, and to be quite honest, if we're trying to hide from the Lord, it's usually a reason of, what am I doing wrong? What am I doing wrong? And these kings, they knew they were wrong. Now, from a strategic point of view, what a really dumb thing to do. Hide in a cave? 
I mean, that's really a dumb thing to do. Roll the stones in front of them. We're going to get to here in a little bit of what's going to happen to them. But I think the deeper part here is the spiritual idea of going and hiding from the Lord because we know what we're doing is wrong. When really God says, in love, let's deal with this issue. Let's deal with it. So what happens to these guys? Well, they roll the stone from verse 18. Verse 19, Joshua says, set guards. Don't worry about them. Basically, they're not going anywhere. Verse 20, then it happened while Joshua and the children of Israel made an end of slaying them with a very great slaughter. So they had finished that those who escaped entered fortified cities. And all the people returned to the camp to Joshua and Makedah in peace. No one moved his tongue against any of the children of Israel. Then Joshua said, open the mouth of the cave. Bring out those five kings to me from the cave. And so they did so and brought out the five kings and enlist their names there again. Verse 24, so it was when they brought out those kings to Joshua. Joshua called for all the men of Israel and said to the captains of the men of war who went with them, Come now, put your feet on the necks of these kings. And they drew near and put their feet on their necks. Now this is not some type of... Um, humiliation type thing. This is back then, this is how they showed dominance. They were the victors. They are the ones that won. Verse 25, And Joshua said to them, Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. Be strong and of good courage, for thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. Now, does verse 25 ring a bell to you? And if it does ring a bell to you, it should, because when we first did our study in Joshua, going back now probably a couple months ago, jump back to Joshua 1, verse 9. What did God tell Joshua in Joshua 1.9? Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That was one of the beginning points of Joshua, saying that God is going to be with Joshua, so Joshua has nothing to fear. And we talked about Joshua. We went through his life and how he became this ruler, ruling over a million people and all the problems he had to deal with. And we've talked about numerous times in these first ten chapters of when the going got tough, what did God always remind Joshua? Be strong and of good courage. What is Joshua basically doing here in verse 25? He's basically repeating what God told him in verse 9 of Joshua chapter 1. Now what's the point of this? Here's the point. If you want to teach it, you first have to live it. That's what it comes down to. I'm telling you right now, people come up to me on Sundays, on Wednesdays, and say, oh, that message, you know, that's exactly what I need to hear. That was convicting. It was really difficult, or whatever. I'm telling you right now, it's hard. Anybody that's ever taught before knows when you teach, God's going to say, you know what, are you going to live it yourself? Are you going to put it into practice? How can Joshua go to these people in verse 25 and tell them these things? The reason he can tell them these things is because he's lived through it through the first ten chapters of the book of Joshua. So since he lived it, now he can go tell others. How often are you in a situation in life where you stop and you say, Lord, why? Why are you allowing this to happen? Why are you allowing this to go into my life, this trial, this tribulation? What good can come out of that? And the truth of the matter is sometimes the Lord is allowing this to happen so that way you can be a blessing to others. Turn if you will to Acts 16 real quick. Let's look at an example of this. Joshua went through trials and tribulations. We've talked about that. We've talked about the mistakes that were made at Ai. We talked about the mistakes that were made with the Gibeonites. We talked about part of the reason why God kept telling Joshua to be strong and of good courage is probably because he wasn't strong and of good courage. God needed to keep reminding him of that. Joshua had to live it, and as he lived it, now he can teach it to others. We see an example of this now in Acts chapter 16. What you have here in Acts 16, you have Paul and Silas. Well, Paul and Silas here are dealing in this town, and what happens is there's this, um, make a long story short here, in verse 16, there's this uh, slave girl that's possessed that's following Paul and Silas around and kind of causing some trouble. So Paul and Silas 
cast out the demon. Well, as they cast out the demon, well, they get in trouble for that. Have you ever done that? You've done something good, you've done something right, and people flip it around and use it against you? Yeah, we've all been in that position. I think it's a pretty good thing to cast out demons. I like that. Well, what happened is they're upset because they were using this girl for profit and for money, and now that she's no longer demon-possessed and she has a relationship with Christ, she's not bringing the money in. So, make a long story short, they get upset at Paul and Silas, they take Paul and Silas, look at verse 20, these men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. So, verse 30, excuse me, 22, the multitudes rise up together against them, they take them, they beat them, and they put them in jail. Verse 23, and when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. So, Here's the background. Gal's demon-possessed. Paul and Silas cast her out. They're upset at that. So they beat them. They beat them severely. They beat them with rods. They just don't throw them in prison. They throw them in the inner prison. Their feet are chained up. This is the situation that Paul and Silas are in. Now, I don't know about you. If I was in that position, I would be asking a lot of Lord, why questions. Lord, why? Why did you allow this to happen? We were trying to do something good. What did we do wrong? I know where my heart would be. Where's their heart? Verse 25. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. See, Paul and Silas saw the big picture. Now, if the story was about James, it would be, but at midnight, James was praying, get me out of here. There would be nothing about singing hymns to God. I'll tell you that right now. See, but here's the thing. If you want to teach it, you've got to live it. And, and Lord, Why? Well, sometimes I allow things to happen in your life so that way you can be a blessing to others. Because I think the key word in verse 25, a lot of times when we look at verse 25, I've seen people, when they teach this, focus on, see, during trials you need to pray. In midnight in the prisons of life you need to pray. Okay, I think that's a good point. I've seen people focus on the next word. They're singing. See, when you're in the prisons of life and it's dark and it's midnight, you need to understand the importance of praise to God. I think that's a real good point too. My personal opinion, my favorite word in that whole verse is, is the word listening. See, they were listening to them. And, and I think the point of this is, no matter where you're at in your life, there is someone listening to your walk with Christ. Someone's listening. And, and how do you present yourself? It's really easy to present yourself strong in the Lord when everything is clicking. It is really easy. But now, when you're beaten for doing something good, and you're in the inner prison, and your feet are in stocks, are you still going to be praying and singing hymns? Because people are listening at that time too. Now generally at this point there's someone thinking, well, no one listens to me. No. Your, your, your witness affects somebody, I guarantee you. And your witness affects more people than what you realize. We've, we go to this passage a lot, and I'm not going to make you turn there for time's sake, but how many times have we gone to Peter when Peter gave up, you know, after he denied Christ three times, Peter said, I'm going back to fishing. And what does the Bible say that the disciples then said? I, they're following them. And that's what happens. See, when you give up on the Lord, it affects people. But we usually think, oh, the church keeps going. No one ever notices. No one ever pays attention. No, it, it affects people. It affects the body of Christ. Imagine looking at your body and saying, okay, I'll just lose a pinky. You know, who's really going to notice? It's going to hurt, and it's going to look different. <laughs> You're going to notice. See, my personal opinion in verse 25, the key word there is people were listening to them. See, people were listening to Joshua. So when Joshua says, be strong and of good courage, not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you, 
See, the people say, yeah, that's true, because we've seen Joshua live it here. And so when Paul and Silas are praying and singing hymns, the prisoners are listening. And what happens? Great earthquake, everybody escapes. But what happens most importantly, verse 32, Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him, this is the jailer, and to all who were in his house, and he took them the same hour of the night, washed their stripes, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. See? Paul and Silas are in prison, singing hymns, praying, people are listening, and next thing you know, the jailer and his family are getting saved. That's a pretty cool thing. That's the importance of teaching it, living it, and when the Lord, why questions come into your life, just remember that God's going to use that situation to bless others. I don't know how he's going to use it, but he's going to use it to bless others. That's a, that's, we know that. He's going to use it for good. In this situation, I don't know what Paul and Silas were thinking. When they were getting beaten on the back, were they thinking, wow, Lord, you're going to use this for good? I don't know. When they got thrown in the stocks in the inner prison, were they thinking, wow, Lord, you're going to use this for good? I don't know what they were thinking. But I think their heart is revealed and by their prayers and their hymns. And you know what? The Lord used that for fruit. So we see this with Joshua. When he tells the people, be strong courage, do not be dismayed, he's living it. We see it with Paul and Silas. He's living it. So if you're in a difficult situation right now and you're in the Lord why phase, God's saying, I'm going to use this to bless other people. There's a great example of that. Let's take a quick break here. Anybody got any quick questions, comments about this before we go on? Yeah, John. No, I don't think you can safely assume that. I mean, I'm not trying to get to a deeper issue here, but um, I've been to a, a lot of prison visits, and I'm, I'm not going to go out on a limb and say that everybody in there is innocent. So, uh, no, I'm going to say that the Lord could use that for a, a greater good and a witnessing tool. So, but uh, no, I'm not going to say that everybody in there was, was innocent. I don't think so. You know, once again, it goes back to, did their shoes grow with their feet from a few weeks ago when you, when you brought that up? Um, and their shoes grew with the feet, yes. Um, I, I, I don't think you can safely assume that everybody was innocent. That's my, that's my personal opinion. But I think you can safely assume that anybody that was in there had an opportunity to accept or reject Christ. I think you safely assume that. Anybody else have anything here before we go on? Yeah, Rose. That's right. That's right. Christ has, has given the opportunity for everybody to be free, just not some people take advantage of it. So, anybody else have anything here before we move on? Okay. So, well, it doesn't turn out good here for the kings, verse 26. And afterward, Joshua struck them and killed them, and they hanged them on five trees, and they were hanging on the trees until morning. So it was at the time of the going down of the sun that Joshua commanded and took them down from the trees, cast them into the cave where they had been hidden, and laid large stones against the cave's mouth, which remained there until this very day. Verse 28, On that day Joshua took Machedah and struck it and his king with the edge of the sword. He utterly destroyed them, and all the people were in it. He let none remain. He also did to the king of Machedah as he had done to the king of Jericho. Now, I always have to say this anytime these verses pop up. Remember this point once again. These Kingdoms represent sin. And as these kingdoms represent sin, it represents our holy hatred of sin. We want it to see it utterly destroyed. Now, generally at this time, someone says, okay, yeah, but how can a God of love do this? How many times have we said this? God has given these kingdoms opportunities to come to him. 
They have chosen to reject that. We know Rahab came to God and lived. We know that these other kingdoms have said, we have heard what the Lord God have done. We are afraid of what the Lord God have done. Well, then why not come and serve the Lord God? These kings and kingdoms have chosen to reject it, so since they have chosen to reject it, there's a punishment that comes. There's no different than what we have today. I know some very good, moral people that aren't saved. In fact, I know some people that aren't saved that are nicer than people I know that are saved. And the truth of the matter is, unless they have a relationship with Jesus, that good moral life means nothing. They're given an opportunity just like everybody else to accept or reject. All these kings and kingdoms were all given an opportunity to accept or reject. They chose to reject, and since they chose to reject, this is the punishment that comes. That's what it comes down to. Now, I think there's some interesting phrasing here that we're going to see. In this chapter, in chapter 10, this phrase is repeated in its variations four times. Look at verse 8 of the chapter 10. The Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have delivered them into your hand. Say in chapter 10, look at verse 19. Do not stay there, your enemies, but pursue your enemies and attack their rear guard. Do not allow them to enter their cities, for the Lord your God has delivered them into your hand. Verse 19. Stay in this. Look at verse 30. And the Lord also delivered it. Verse 32. And the Lord delivered Lachish into the hand of Israel. Are you sensing a theme here? It's God that is delivering it. See, so often when it comes to things out here at church, when it comes to things in my life, I throw so many burdens on my shoulders. Lord, look what I have to do. There's a marriage falling apart, and I have to fix it. Lord, there's a, there's a huge ministry opportunity coming up, and I have to lead it. Lord, there's a, there's a, a, a life falling apart by drugs, alcohol, fill in the blank. I have to go in and fix it. No, I don't. The Lord is the one that delivers everything. Granted, Joshua got up. His guys, they swung the sword. They sweated, they bled, they fought. But it's the Lord that delivered. And in your spiritual life today, you're going to do the same thing. You're going to get out there and you're going to serve. You're going to fight, you're going to sweat, you're going to bleed. But God is the one that does the delivering. And when we get that out of our head, excuse me, I should say, when we get that thought across in our head, boy, ministry becomes so much easier, doesn't it? I don't have to do it. I don't have to carry the load. Joshua doesn't have to figure out how to defeat Makeda. He doesn't have to figure out how to defeat Jericho or take on Ai. He doesn't have to figure out how to defeat these five kings because God says, I'll deliver them into your hand. I will take care of it. It goes back to that verse we talked about, verse 10. Excuse me, verse 9 of chapter 10. Joshua therefore came upon them suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgal. Remember that point last week? Joshua's job was to march. Verse 10, so the Lord routed them before Israel. That word rout, he defeated them. Joshua did the marching, God did the fighting. Same thing happens today. He just says, James, be prepared, go when I say go, stop when I say stop. Be prepared to sweat, be prepared to bleed for the kingdom, but I'll take care of doing the delivering. It's when we get ourselves off that thought, we start thinking we have to carry it on our head. Boy, it gets really tough. Remember this verse, if you're taking notes there, Romans 8.37, we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. More than conquerors in Christ Jesus. We don't have to do it ourselves. God takes care of it. One other quick verse on this that I think really just kind of reminds us what our role is and really how God takes care of it. Psalm 98.1, you don't need to turn there. It sucks there, it says, in Psalm 98, it says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have gained him the victory. Now, who gained the victory? God. His right hand 
His holy arm have gained him the victory. There's nothing about you and I in there. God gains the victory. But once again, we get into this mindset of we have to fix it. We have to take care of it. When really the longer I walk with the Lord, the more I realize, God, you just have to step in and take care of it. I just need to be obedient to you when you say go. Now, with that mindset, what happens here in the rest of chapter 10 is it goes through all the different kingdoms that they defeat, and it goes through everything that they win and all the great victories and how God delivered it. But there's this little verse at the end here, verse uh, 41. And Joshua conquered them from Kadesh Barnea as far as Gaza and all the country of Goshen, even as far as Gibeon. All these kings in their land Joshua took at one time because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. And Joshua returned and all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. Now verse 42 is interesting. The Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. God took care of the battle. We've already established that. Now, but if you're like me, and I hear this passage of God delivers and I'm more than a conqueror and he does the fighting, you know what the first thing I think of? How many times I've, I've failed in that area? How many times I've tried to win the victory myself? How many times I thought I could fix this problem and, and I couldn't? Or how many times the problem has been presented to me and instead of trusting and relying on the Lord's strength, I ran in fear because I was afraid of what was going to happen or, Lord, I can't say anything. Boy, I tell you, the times I feel most just sick to my stomach is when God opens a door of ministry, of share with somebody, talk to someone, and then you walk away from that and you don't say anything. I just walk away from that saying, Lord. I remember there was one not too long ago. It was earlier this year. There was a gal out here visiting church, and we were talking before the message. And um, she was talking about, uh, you know, got into the whole subject of are you saved or are you not saved? And uh, she really talked about how she really wanted to recommit her life to Christ. And so, you know, church is getting ready to start, and we got to that point of, I really want to recommit my life to the Lord and really have that relationship with Christ. And when you know it, you know what happened right at that time? They had the audacity to start worship. And so, can you believe that? Worship. So I said, you know what? Church is starting. Let's grab each other after church, and I would love to get a chance to talk to you. Never found her after church. Never found her. And she never came back again. And I always thought, man, what a, what a missed opportunity. And so I blamed the worship team for that missed opportunity. But the, but the point is, looking back, I'm like, well, why didn't I just take her and let, let's go into the kitchen and just, and just pray right there? Or, or why didn't I just say, you know what? Yeah, worship's starting, but this is really important. Here, let's just hold hands here real quick and talk about recommitting your life to the Lord. And I really thought, boy, I really messed that up. And Lord, give me an opportunity because I don't want to mess that up again. So I messed things up. And so I see this verse 41 of Kadesh Barnea, and I like this. And you may say, well, what's the big deal? They conquered Kadesh Barnea. Does anybody, here's a quick uh, Jeopardy question for $1,000. Does anybody remember the importance of Kadesh Barnea? Back in the book of Numbers, Kadesh Barnea is where the nation of Israel came to the promised land. The scouts came back, and Caleb said, we can take this land. And all the other scouts came back and said, there's giants in there. We're afraid. And it was at Kadesh Barnea that the earlier generation turned around and said, we're not going into the promised land because there's giants in there. We're afraid and we're going back to Egypt. It was at Kadesh Barnea that God said, I'm done with this generation. If you guys are going to live in fear, if you guys are going to complain, Fine. You guys are going to wander for the next 38 years and die, and then I'll start over again. So when they come back to Kadesh Barnea, Caleb and Joshua are the only ones that have been there really before. Caleb and Joshua are the ones that were there before, and they were the ones that said, we can do this. And the rest of the people said, no. 
Well, 40 years later, they had the opportunity to finally do it. See, I look at that verse and it's like, Lord, thank you for being a God of second chances and opportunities. Because there's been times I've come up to Kadesh Barnea and I've messed up. I had an opportunity to say something I didn't. I had an opportunity to hold my tongue, and I didn't. I had an opportunity to really be a light for the Lord, and I didn't. So I walk away from Kadesh Barnea thinking, I failed, I'm a failure. And God says, no, I'm going to bring you back again. I'll give you another opportunity here. And sometimes it happens the way I want, sometimes it doesn't happen the way I want. But I look at this in verse 41, and I see that, and I say, wow, Lord, thank you. Thank you for bringing Israel back again. Thank you for giving them a second opportunity. Thank you for your grace and mercy to bring them back to Kadesh Barnea. And maybe some of you here tonight have had a Kadesh Barnea moment of, you really messed up. And you're like, Lord, I'm sorry. If you give me another opportunity, I really want to shine for you. Wow, the Lord may. Isn't that a pretty neat thing? He may bring you back to that verse again, that verse 41, and say, you know what? Fine. Here's another opportunity. Let's get you ready for that. And sometimes it doesn't happen as quick as what we want. It took the nation of Israel nearly 40 years to be prepared for their second Kadesh Barnea experiment. And for you, the Lord may say, you know what? I'll bring you that opportunity again. But we've got a little bit of work we need to do before we get to that point. But God is faithful, and it's a beautiful thing that even in our mistakes and even in our mess-ups, He's still faithful and he takes care of it as the beauty of God and the Holy Spirit. Remember, God does the delivering. It doesn't rely on our shoulders. He does it. Does anybody else have any final questions, comments here before we close up? Megan. That, that is exactly what's going to happen in the end when we don't all turn to Christ. See, that's, that's the whole thing about God. God is a very black and white God when it comes to this. See, we find these gray areas of, yeah, I know it's wrong, but it's not as wrong as that. Or, yeah, I know that's really not something really spiritually helpful in my life, so I'm going to kind of let go of it a little bit, but yet we, we hide on to things a little bit more. Where God says, no, he wants it to be utterly and totally destroyed. It goes back to that point of God's holy hatred of sin. He loves us. But anything that is in our lives that's going to bring us down and cause problems, he hates and wants it out. These nations, if they would allow these nations to stick around, those nations would have been little pockets of sin that were going to come and bring down the nation of Israel. And you know what? That's what happened later on. They did not totally drive everybody out, and that came back to bite them later on. So yeah, it's a picture of God's, the way he looks at it, is he hates anything that's going to harm us. I mean, imagine that as a parent, for, for you that have kids. I mean, so you know what? There's a dog out there that, you know, well, he may bite your kid. He may. He's been some in the past. But you know what? He's been pretty good today, so why don't you let your kid go out and play with him? No. There's a chance he may bite. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to have that over me. But yet we do that with sin. Oh, it's not that wrong. Oh, it's not that bad. It's not that big a deal. I'm okay with this. And, and it really just pulls us down. That's why God says you have to utterly destroy it through his power. Anybody else have anything here they want to say before we close up? All righty. Let's go to close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Lord, I just pray.